Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch. This time we return to the comfort of our own homes to deliver you in for lunch and send top-notch food to our brilliant guests as we chat over takeaways and a video link. Today I'm eating across a video feed with an actress who made her name in the hugely successful ITV series called Feet, but has also published three cookbooks, so seriously likes her food. It's Faye Ripley. I found yesterday, I found a note and it was October 21st, 94. It says, okay. Dearest Faye, I am so underlined sorry that your wonderful prostitute has not made it into the final cut of Frankenstein. I owe you a drink. Much love, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Faye Ripley, hello. Hi, Jay Rayner. Look at you with your background there. We're this all is, so interested. It's my proper office. This is my. This, these are my papers. So there's sort of shelves with files and books, and you pretending to be like a journalist writer, like proper intelligent. But I, I swear, I see porn. That's my own private collect. There is no porn. Just for the record, there is no. Actually, there's, there is. There is one. Porn. There's one thing which is a comic book collection, which is somewhat pornographic. That I actually gave to my late mother as a Christmas gift called The Lost Girls. Look it up. It's it was actually banned at one point. That's why I gave it to my my mother Claire, and she it was a lovely Christmas that one. So what did she part- do when she opened the porn at Christmas? <laughs> like what well, was it like? I, oh, I ex- thank I, you. I explained that it was this very interesting collection of stories, uh, comic book stories about um, three young women and their sexual awakening from literature. And I, I, I can only remember two of them. It's Wendy um, and it's Alice. Wendy from uh, Peter Pan, Alice from Alice in Wonderland. I wonder who the third one was. But she was intrigued and it did stay on the coffee table in our living room before anybody to have a look at. It's amazing. Well, thanks for talking about your porn, Jay. <laughs> well, I like appreciate to, you know. your honesty. So early in our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Can I can I go all the way back to yes. um, your your childhood and where you grew up as we await your food, which should only be about five minutes away. Mm. Growing up, you pretty much said that you grew up with almost no identity whatsoever. The yeah. best you can say is you can almost be called a Londoner because you were born in Wimbledon. Yeah. I never then- lived in Wimbledon. That was why I can almost be called a Londoner. <laughs> I was just, I came out of my mother in Wimbledon and then was whisked back to Surrey, um, which is where I was brought up. And Surrey for me, and I'm sure I will get a lot of people responding to this quite aggressively from Surrey. Mm. Um, But I feel I never felt it had an identity. It doesn't have an accent. It doesn't have, you know, you name, what what does a Surrey person, house, accent, anything, dish, give me anything that you can identify with Surrey. I have said that I haven't reviewed very much in Surrey because despite having money, there is we know there's money in there's Surrey. There's cash there, sure, sure. Yeah, there's not there really aren't very many good restaurants and mostly I think it's because of the pull of London that you can get back into there in 45 minutes on a train. Was it that kind of childhood yours? I know your your parents split or your both parents split. They both remarried in interesting ways because your mum married an Italian guy who was bringing Italian food into the into the country, wasn't it? Oh, very much so. Yes, he was like one of the first guys to import sort of fresh pasta and alongside being a sort of 
stereotype of an Italian um, musician singing one talamera and he won new faces, my stepdad, um, at the same time. It was hilarious. He won new faces? He did, he did. I mean, your, show, your showbiz family, because your aunt, was this on your mother's side, was was the 60s pop star Twinkle? It's on my dad's side. Your yeah. dad's side. Was Blimey. Twinkle, yes, absolutely, who was um, a sort of child pop star. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so my mum married an Italian, so I was eating... Uh, a lot of Italian food and where my friends definitely weren't. And my dad married uh, my stepmom, who's still my stepmom, and she's German. So um, I was I was introduced to a lot of things that sounded sort of... Did you have spätzle? Spätzle, yes. I no. mean, I was... It's like, oh, you're having... Um, Lederhosen for dinner is like I did words that I thought were other things. That's what I mean. You know, sort of you get a short. So literally in the sense of Bart Simpson, you were invited to eat your shorts. It, very much so. Um, <laughs> I couldn't and, let that pass. Uh, very leathery they were too. Let me tell you what you're going to have today. Um, oh, because yes. I'm sure you're a gog. Happily, when we asked for, you know, dietary requirements, you sent us none. Eats anything, you said, which was fantastic. Yes. So um, there is a rather classy uh, Indian in the centre of town called Benares um, in Mayfair. This will be interesting. And and, uh, some of Benares' finest is on its way towards you. I'm Um, quite scared of hot food. So this will be interesting. No, you've got, I mean, it's not particularly hot. I mean, you could have added that in your dietary. Quite scared <laughs> I didn't of want spicy to be, food. Didn't want to be difficult, Jay. Oh yeah, well, I've noticed this guy. I, I heard you on an interview say, um, if you go and eat at someone's house and it's awful, you won't say anything about it, and you tell your kids not to say something's awful. Just say thank you. That was lovely. But you know, you might have hung until yourself I here. leave, and then I will really lay in. Obviously. To people at home or the person who's just fed you? Not to the person who's fed me. They'll yeah, never exactly. know. They'll never yeah, know. That's, that's what I mean. Yes. So um, that inveterate politeness that, you know, you can take the girl out of Surrey, but you can't take <laughs> Surrey out of the girl, uh, may just have caused you digestive distress because you've got Indian food heading your way. But I have to say, I haven't gone for massively, you know, fiery stuff at all. I, so. I love Indian food. I'm very excited. I don't eat enough of it, so it's actually a really good choice. Well, Benares is is pretty damn classy, um, and mm. I've been told that their biryani is a special thing. So, Ooh. Oh. I, well, Ooh. I haven't heard a knock at the door. Shall I check? Why don't you? Yes, Go I'm up going to check. And see. I'm excited. Okay. You'll find the the boxes are numbered, and I can okay. take them through and basically say, why don't you find box number one, which is your starter? God, it smells so good. <laughs> right. So your number one is a veg samosa with chickpeas, yogurt <gasps> and tamarind. I mean, this is posh. So I've got chicken tikka, which has wow. come with a lovely kind of muslin wrapped piece of lemon. We should probably say we've met once before properly, haven't we? Oh, we have in we, we, basically your office. Well, it was. The Ivory um, Anyway, I'm holding it up so you can have a look. That's different so to chicken. mine. It is different to yours. I thought it would be better for texture if um, you got Mm. one thing and I got another. Oh, my God. How Mm. is it? I mean, that's that's just a different thing. This is the thing. I don't eat this kind of Indian food enough because this is unrecognisable to me. I've never had anything like this. It's delicious. Mm. So is it just that it's particularly... It's It's, more subtle than the stuff you're used to? It's much more subtle. It's... um, you get waves. There's like a citrus wave, a lime wave through it. There's 
coriander on, which I love. I know it's a that splits the audience. It's got crunch because it's got this sort of deep fried pastry, but it's also got this sort of warm lentils and dairy through it. I mean, it's divine. Ripley, are you auditioning for my gig on MasterChef? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you can fuck off. It's mine. <laughs> Delicious. Your your stepdad was on New Faces. Yeah. Your aunt on the other side was a pop star. Mm. There was no expectation that you were going to go into acting, was there? there you, I, I think your dad wanted to send you to Swiss finishing school, didn't he? He did. He was keen for me to be able to fold a napkin into the shape of a swan, apparently. Ah, the dying swan. It's very important. There was a very low expectation based on one thing, and that's that I was a girl. From where I was brought up, that was very much it. You would marry well. And in fact, that was the advice I was given by my careers officer at school. I was at a a sort of, I'm going to say a sort of a bit low rent private school, all girls, uh, Catholic school. I'm not Catholic, um, so I got all the guilt uh, without asking for it. I made the decision to sort of just go to my local tech college, and that was quite radical in my family. But but you said there was a particular teacher, uh, Susan Ford, who a drama teacher who made you feel good about something you'd done. Yes, I think I would have gone with whatever I thought I was good at. And it was Susan Ford was this amazing woman who uh, was just just a brilliant teacher. And I don't think it was because I was particularly good. I think that she just thought, well, someone better tell her she's good at something. (laughs) What's really striking to me from looking at your story is your absolute stubborn determination. You auditioned for the Guildhall three times. Before getting in, I mean, you were right because you've had a you have a brilliant career. You've got awards and BAFTA nominations and everything. So you were the, you were right and they were wrong. But uh, what I, made you carry on? I wonder now because I've got a daughter who is about to embark on a very similar sort of journey. Would I advise her if she doesn't get in on the you know until the third time to keep going? I don't even know. But that young woman that I was then, I didn't see an alternative. In the meantime, while I was failing, I did many other life things and had many other jobs. And that I don't regret, weirdly, um, even though I was utterly miserable until I was 30. But Were you actually utterly miserable or were you yeah. going through life and thinking this is tough? I hated my 20s. Oh, they were, they were so awful. It's fine in retrospect because of the joy that came afterwards because now life is good. But no, it was it was it wasn't great. You found a living as a clown. You were you, you were a quite successful clown, weren't you? Weren't you able to get a mortgage with the occupation clown on the application? Absolutely right. Yes, mm. in the eighties, they gave mortgages to people who walked <laughs> in with red noses. Now, before we 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 carry on, um, let me tell you about your main course. Mm. You should have three boxes. So number two will be your chicken biryani, and it's uh, with, flavored with rose and mint, and uh, there should be a roasted. I can cumin smell the mint. Or... That's my favorite herb. I've done my research, and obviously I knew that. No, you didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. Wow. Um, you will also have masala bayan, which oh. is um, aubergine tossed in dry spices with coriander and ginger, and then a dal makani, uh, which is a twenty-four hour cooked. 
buttered black lentils. And there's some raita? Uh, yes, there's a, that's, that's a uh, roasted cumin raita. I have a lamb shank nihari with bone marrow oh. and spices. I like um, the fact they say with spices as though you think, oh, no spices. I'm, um, I'm more interested in the fact that they said with bone marrow. I, yeah, I that's, know. You see, that's stuff I don't want to know. You what, see, you don't like bone marrow or you don't want to know? Just don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about bone marrow? Do you think no. it's a bit personal? I just feel it's a bit organy. Do you have a problem with offal? 100%. Oh. Yeah. And you from Surrey and everything. Um, there are a couple of stories yes. I have to interrogate you about from from your pre, you know, everything's all right days. Oh, One, yeah. you were arrested while dressed as a clown. Is that right? For a major crime. Yeah. I had done a party. My clown name is, I say, because you die with your clown name, Mischief. As in Mischief. Yes. That, I mean, the children get it really quickly, Jay. The Do joke. they? Okay. Yeah. But they're actually there in front of you with all the makeup and the hair and the, and the shoes. So it's probably easier to... Maybe. maybe. Um, <laughs> I did a kids' party over in Wimbledon, I think it was, and it was oh. in a big house. And the thing that I remembered about it was that they tipped me very heavily. I was very pleased with the party, seemed to go perfectly well. What defined the party was that... I always wasted time in a two and a half hour party. My main trick for wasting time was to say, hands up, who wants to go to the toilet? Now, one kid, one four-year-old puts their hands up, and 25 people want to go to the toilet. Amazing. <laughs> that is an hour of my time. The parents love me because they go, oh, it's so great because none of the children wet themselves and the entertainer was so sweet. Did you learn that at clown school or did you make that up? I just worked yourself? it out. Just worked it yeah, out. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so I went, who wants to go to the toilet? And they said, you can't use the downstairs toilet. Could you go through the bedroom? There's a, an ensuite through the bedroom. So off I went to their very smart house, took 25 kids to the toilet, came back, finished the party, got a big tip. Fabulous. Next day, knock at the door. Six big burly policemen to search my house and look for 75 grand's worth of diamonds and jewellery. It all got quite scary, and I was just a young clown trying to make my way, you know, in the circus. Were you taken in for questioning? I don't think I was taken in for questioning, but I, it got really scary. And, I mean, when they saw me and saw <laughs> that my main, like, Harry the Hedgehog, my puppet from my puppet show, and they were like, I don't yeah. think, I don't think this, this mischief is like, you know, nicking. Yeah. It's only a clown <laughs> name. It's not actually a description of the way she lives. Exactly. But it turned out it was an insurance job and they buried them in the garden and they'd set me up and the loo downstairs was working. And it was all like, you know, it's like an episode of Midsummer Murders. Uh, did they come back and tell you this or did you read about it in the papers or what happened? I think they realised quite quickly and, and, and informed my parents that it was all okay and they'd found the necklace in the garden and, and they were actually going to arrest the parents. That's and I think it wasn't even the kid's birthday. I don't think I've made that up. I think even that was pretend. What? So they, they'd set the kid up as an accomplice <laughs> yeah. in the setup. Yeah. Uh, you made the point that you do have letters after your name. It's not only Jimmy Nesbitt oh. who has letters after his name, does he? Hang on, I'm gonna. Hold oh, what, have you got? Have you got a certificate or something? I've got. I've got letterheading. Yes, favourite <laughs> ASTO, the Association of Suntown Operators. I mean. 
I haven't got any other letters, so I'm going to roll with that. And I'm very proud. And it's it's on my letter heading. So you got a problem with that? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm more intrigued by the story that one of your regulars, uh, mm. one particular, um, what do we call them, salon, uh, et salon de tanning, sure. was George Michael. Yes. George and Michael was a regular visitor to the sun tanning slash health centre. I say health centre. There was a lot of mass. It was, I mean, my, my husband says my wife worked in a massage parlour, but it wasn't <laughs> like there was massage. But anyway, um, and there were some beds and there was a gym. And the only place you were allowed to smoke was in the gym. And George Mike used to come in and use the sunbeds a lot. And everybody was very giddy about it. I was very Surrey-esque, very sort of English in my response. I used to every single time, poor guy, I'd go, oh, hello, um, name please. Are you did a you think you were being? Did you think you were being kind and yes. just, you know, treating him like a normal person, yes. like a normal chap? I wasn't doing it to be facetious. I, I was just sort of, I was inside, I was dying. I was a, a huge fan of George Michael, but I didn't want him to feel that, you know, I was a fan. I felt just too embarrassed about that. So I would very play that down with, you know, are you paying by cash or card? Sorry, your <laughs> name again? I did quite a lot of that, um, which must have become tedious. Anyway, he would use the sunbeds. I would give him his towels to wipe himself dry because there's quite a lot of sweat involved in those sunbeds. And at the end, I would, I'm afraid, take the towels and sell them. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. How, how? What did? What did you? How do you sell a, to a my friends? With, I mean, mainly oh, to, to my friends. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do it on. I wouldn't have a stall in a market <laughs> selling George Michael sweaty towels. I didn't. But to my friends that loved George Michael, I would either put them in a frame and gift them for birthdays, or just take cash for them. Sometimes I'm going to be honest. I've never said this out loud. Um, I would pretend that they were George Michael's towels, and maybe they weren't. If you did a DNA test. Did you fake George Michael's sweaty towels? I think maybe I did, yeah. Sometimes. Was... I didn't I didn't need to. He was in a lot. I mean, I only did it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. We've all made mistakes, a... Jay. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I've never made any mistakes like that, so. <laughs> Hello, dear lunchers. A quick word about something rather exciting. It's a new range of out-to-lunch merchandise that has landed and it's ready for you to get your greedy mitts on. I've got it here. There's a smart-looking apron in rugged denim with pockets. From now on, I'll wear nothing else. A brilliantly made travel cup. We all need to drink on the go. Water, wine, put what you like in it. I don't care. I'm not your dad. And a beautifully soft tea towel so you can think of me while you caress your finest kitchenware. These are quality items, people. The kind of things that once you've used, you'll be dreaming of using again and again. And branded with your favourite podcast too. What's not to love? To browse the range and purchase your heart's content, head to outtolunch.backstreetmerch.com. That's outtolunch, all one word, dot backstreetmerch, all one word, dot com. Get them while they're hot, cold or tepid and do tweet me your photos showing them off too. But now it's back to lunch. You should definitely try the... um, Yes. The aubergine. Ah, here it is. Oh, I love aubergine. It would, it, it would be uh, number 2A, I think. I'm trying this aubergine now. Mmm. Mmm. Could you give us the full MasterChef description? Mmm. It's warm. 
I'm getting now, now, a slow burn coming through that I can manage because it's slow. And there's maybe cinnamon, there's tomato, but the the, the hero of this are these huge chunks of soft aubergine with a sort of slightly, this is where I'm not going to go master, slightly leathery skin, but in a good way, like delicious, really delicious. I love, love, love aubergines. I think one of the, yeah, one of the things about aubergine is that it can give a sort of substance to non-meat cookery. Mm. If the skin hangs onto itself, onto its own identity, it won't go too mushy. So exactly that. Delicious. I mean, mm. heat is, is, I think it's good when it takes its time because then you can sort of get used to it. Also, for, I mean, you know, I don't want to go into this, Jay, but for a perimenopausal woman... I've got to be careful with these hot, hot dishes, you know. Well, in case they encourage a bit of a flush. Yes, yes. When I was a kid, one of my jobs was sending out the leaflets that uh, my mother would dispatch to the nation as, a prop- as an agony aunt. Oh, yes. And, and um, one of them was on the menopause. And I, I've always said that as a 10-year-old, I could spot the symptoms of the menopause. <laughs> oh, that's from 50 adorable. Paces, which was great as a 10-year-old, but less useful to me now. Um <laughs> Well, use all your knowledge with me because it's happening. That's all I'm saying. Oh, darling. You've described your 20s as being miserable. At, at any point, did you think, I'm just going to leave this business? You you had a bloke at that time. You and James Purfoy had been together since you were practically kids. Yeah. And that ended when you were about 27, is that right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I think I might have had something to do with the fact that my 20s were difficult, but yes. Um, well, but, a relationship that just went on longer than it possibly should have done after you well, taught was, each other all the things you needed to know. When you meet someone when you're very young, you make those very grown-up decisions and then you sort of grow up and you're sort of... It, you, but you made them when you were a kid, you know, and you're sort of slightly stuck with them, uh, with those decisions, not the actual person or whatever it is. So, you know, alongside that, I was... Definitely, I think, feeling like a failure. I think that that from those early days at the convent, you know, with, well, it's not really about you, Faye, about what you want to do. It's very much about where you'll find yourself through your privilege. You know, if I made it in whatever I did, it would be against all the odds sort of thing. You get the payoff later because now, you know, I'm a a self-made woman who's had no help from anybody, didn't steal the necklace um and um you know and there's a pride that comes with having felt a failure and then not being a failure in your own eyes i mean you know there's no doubt that the business was tough for you there's the famous story you shot two scenes in frankenstein once being assaulted by robert de niro's double this is branner's frankenstein the other one dead on a slab with de niro and what happens i found yesterday i was going through some stuff I found a note and it was October the 21st, 94. It says, okay. Dearest Faye, I am so underlined sorry that your wonderful prostitute has not made it into the final cut of Frankenstein. It, it continues very sweet. And then I owe you a drink. Much love, Kenneth Branagh. So, um, <laughs> you, Both those scenes just went from the film. And, yeah. and it must have, when you got that gig, it must have felt like a huge thing. I'm in a, a oh, major was, motion picture with Robert De Niro, yeah. directed by Kenneth Branagh. It was going to be the turning point in my 
career. It needs to be said, I, in my 20s, only played sex workers. That was all I did. So I was hoping to take my prostitutes to another level through this film. <laughs> so when the, when the script for the pilot of Cold Feet turned up, mm. did you... I know actors are asked this all the time once they've ended up in a hit. Did you look at that and go, well, that's beautifully written. That's got a hit written all over it. This is going somewhere. Did you just go, oh, I'll read this part and see what happens? Honestly, I thought it was brilliant. We all did. I didn't think it would be a hit because you, that, you, you're not thinking that, but you are reading it going, oh, I really, really want to be in this. Um, I mean, I read it and thought I was going to read for the part of Rachel, which was the sort of pretty love interest you know got everyone fancies her sort of thing and I was quite shocked when can you read for Jenny and I was like what Jenny what the sort of mouthy northern one and now I'm very pleased that I played Jenny and we we made a pilot and it sort of failed um and we were really shocked but it went out at a bad time there's some scheduling thing and um then it won an award the Silver Rose at Montreux and uh and then they replayed it and it did well. And then the sort of rolling ball of filming and making one series after another sort of kind of started to kick in. All of you became very well known very quickly. Was that satisfying? Was it shocking? Was it scary? Was it just good? Life definitely at that point was on an upward trajectory. I mean, it was great. It happened slower in real life than it appeared to. We never knew if it would be recommissioned. There was never a single series, as long as we've been doing it all these years, and it was 25 years ago we started or whatever it was, we've only ever said goodbye at the end of filming going, oh, hopefully, mm-hmm. see you again, but don't know. But there was definitely a point at which, you know, you recognised in the street and you have paid off a bit of your mortgage and you feel like, oh, okay, now now I'm a grown-up. Um, famously, after, was it three series, you asked Mike Bullen to write you out um, and to kill off your character. Yeah. And he refused and sent you to New York instead. Mm. Given that it really did come back after, what, 15 years ago, are you unendingly grateful to Mike that he didn't kill your character? I'm, I think I sent him an email that said, phew. <laughs> Um, I yes, quite quite pleased that that <laughs> that mouthy Ripley who went, yeah, you just need to kill me off because I'll probably win an award. Um, that they just went <laughs> Did, one, you're not going to win an award, and two, no, you might be useful in the future. When um, my dear old mum was working on Woman's Own yes. uh, magazine, she once told me when I sort of became a journalist that there were two sorts of features in Woman's Own in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and there were either womb tremblers or triumph over torment. So womb tremblers were about, you know, the search for motherhood and triumph over torment was, I have uh, had cancer and I've survived. Basically, Jenny Gifford has been both womb trembler and triumph ah, over torment. Yes, and 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 many other things. But yes, I mean, there was a time where I felt that Jenny Gifford was doing a lot of washing up. I mean, I did slightly <laughs> fight that. There was too many scenes with me with, with white wine and washing up. Again, it goes back to this thing of going, look, just because I'm a a woman, my storyline doesn't have to involve getting drunk and washing up. And um, Was Jimmy Nesbitt ever seen washing up? I'm going to say that Jimmy, the nearest Jimmy has got to that is loading a dishwasher. And then feeling victorious because he's actually done something. Maybe. In the days before lockdown, we attend the same gym across the road, Jimmy and I. 
Oh really? Um, yeah. So I can I can raise this question as to whether um, that would probably be the most irritating question he could be asked in the middle of a gym. Do, can I tell you I my think- gym stories? I've only um, belonged to one gym, and that was when I was courting my now husband, and he's a bit younger than me and very <coughs> wonderful to look at and very fit, and I yeah. wasn't any of those, and. I joined a gym and every morning you go, oh, it's amazing. You're, you know, you, you're going to the gym every day. That's really great. Um, but he then said, but you're not like, it's not really toning you at all. <laughs> and I, I had to admit that I'd only joined the gym so I could go and have a poo. <laughs> what, because you didn't want to, yeah. to do that at home? Yeah. Yeah. Was it your house? So I never worked out. I was staying with him and had to like, just go, oh, I'm going to the gym. So I didn't use his bathroom. I mean, I know it's really an intimate sort of discussion, this, but it is true. <laughs> anyway, it was a really expensive gym. That is the other sort of detail that needs to be so said. you've raised it, Faye, so we're now yeah. going to drill down on this because I've, <laughs> I've finished eating. So you had this thing, you could be as intimate as you liked in bed. I'm assuming that you and Dan the Payne, yeah. also an actor, um, yeah. always credited with being the the sexy one in Speedos in Muriel's Wedding. Yeah, he was um, very young, but yes, but, yes, that's him, yes. yeah. Yeah. And you could do many things with, I, I don't need details, but the one thing you couldn't do was go, just going to the loo. Yeah. And yeah. I, I didn't want to spoil not, the magic, Jay. Didn't you not also think when you first met him that he was so beautiful and so charismatic and so nice to you that the only conclusion was that he was gay? He really hates this story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going well, to Do you want to get you. him down and we could just... <laughs> he doesn't find this story as funny as... I do. Everybody else does. Um, I need to make it very clear that it says something about me, not him. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, yes, what course. it says about me clearly is that I still don't, you know, slightly mm. believe that somebody who is so wonderful in all ways would want this schmuck. You know, it's that. It's like, <laughs> oh, what, me? You know, also, you have to understand at that point, I had been single for quite a while and all I knew was gay men. I am still surrounded by gay men and that is my comfort zone. It was an obvious assumption. It was an obvious you, assumption. You have actually said that um, you love cooking for gay men because they're, so many of your gay friends, because they're so effusive about your performance. Although quite competitive, I'm going to say of my gay male friends, but in particular, in my 20s, I didn't go out. I didn't really do the stuff you're meant to do. I don't know, the sex and drugs and rock and roll because I was making souffles because it was about showing off to my gay mates. And it was like, oh, right. Have you made the Delia peppers? Right. How did that go? You know, so it's sort of we were out. So they're they're all cooking. We were all out cooking each other. And we were throwing dinner parties because at that time there was a sort of choice. Do you want to go out and behave like an actual 20-year-old or do you want to behave like a 40-year-old, which is what I was doing, not unexpectedly, when I got to 40. I then went, I'm definitely going to take drugs now. I mean, I'm definitely (laughs) going to behave like a 20-year-old or something. I've got to do something. Uh, The cooking thing, obviously, you mean it. You're serious about it. You've published three books that have done very nicely indeed. Faye's Family Food, What's for Dinner, Faye Makes It Easy. Where does the interest in cooking come from? Is it pure greed or is there an interest in control? The wonderful thing I think about cooking is you take control of the world around you through it. A 100% right um, and, and highly astute of you. I think the reason it happened when it happened is because I, I had young children 
to feed and a family. And it was that sense of control, of safety, of, yes, nurturing and all that. But also, it was also a bit of the actress. You know, I, I cook to There's get performance around. There's there as well. There really is. I, I require a round of applause for my boiled eggs because I present them really well and they're very good <laughs> boiled eggs. Why wouldn't you clap? I've always loved food. I, I, I love eating food. That's at the very core. I have always enjoyed everything I put in my mouth. That's going to be a headline. But, um, um, but uh, I'm just try- I was trying the Alan Wicker silence so that you, know, so let you hang yourself there, but couldn't, um, couldn't keep it down. The great Danny Kay, golden era Hollywood actor, had his kitchen built as an auditorium. There was seating, there was raked seating so they could watch him cook. That's extraordinary. I tried- it's an extraordinary story. I tried to find the kitchen in, in L.A., in Bel Air, and I couldn't. But I think the house had eventually been knocked down. <laughs> I just found the idea of this auditorium for kitchen. How, how did the cookbook happen? Did your acting agent say to you, you know, you should do a book? Or did you go to your acting agent who had a colleague who did books? No, my acting agent would have told me not to. People look down on me for writing cookbooks. Do they? Yes, definitely. The, the idea that it's an actor is very hard. Yeah. can multitask, it confuses people. I have always made decisions that haven't necessarily been the sort of straightforward actor's choices, whether that's, I did adverts before people did adverts, so they looked down on that or wrote those cookbooks. No one came to me and said, why don't you write a cookbook? Is there a particular dish that you think sums up your cooking style? Something you've written recipe for that you think really, that that is pure favouritely? I mean, an easy cake would probably be it because it's, it is slightly about cutting corners. And that's a bit what I'm like in my life. It's a, it's a bit all show. And no knickers or whatever that expression is. By the way, I have Fair knickers. Fair coat and no knickers. knickers. Yeah, that's it. My husband's family lived in Italy. He's half Italian. And I remember I was boxing up all the, my baby's pureed food into Tupperware and flying it with, my, with, with us to Italy to eat. And I suddenly went, why don't you give my child the lovely fresh Italian food that's on the table? Why am I mushing it? two weeks ago and then, you know, freezing it and taking it. The concept, which is not a new concept, but the concept of you all eat the same food, no matter what the age is, you just slightly adapt it and all that. And it wasn't really covered off. There was very much a separation. Babies eat that, adults eat that. And then all these fussy eaters appear and you go, well, obviously you haven't been feeding your children adult food. I mean, (laughs) of course they're not going to accept it. So I started, the first book was very much about feeding your young children. And then as my children grew up, my cookbooks went with them and it became about easy family food, really. Um, You've mentioned cake. So I think Mm. I need to point you at box three. Yes, please. So I have a walnut brownie and you have gulab jamun. Do you know gulab jamun? Okay. It should be a little round syrup-soaked sponge. Yeah, I'm going to show you what look very much like testicles. Hang on. So they should. Yes, there's like a syrup. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear God. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Jay. Well, it's like a sort of golden syrup, old-fashioned ball pudding ball <laughs> that's yeah. not described anything but it yeah. is yeah. that's not that's not getting you the gig on master chef either no that's but really it's... not but oh boy is that i'm sinking into that ball <laughs> i think you probably are it's so good and i'll be honest I, I never know what to order for pudding in 
um, Indian restaurants. So that's well, what I'm going to order. Gulab jamun. Mm. Um, that's so good. But the control thing is definitely a part of it, isn't it? Cooking. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it just, you take a bunch of ingredients, you bend them to your will. I wasn't very good at improvising because I, you know, I would, as you say, you get a bunch of ingredients and you make it into something. And I didn't want to disappoint myself. So I would always stick to recipes. And now through confidence and having written three cookbooks, so that's 350 recipes up my sleeve, then you can improvise. You've been asked to do TV cookery and you've always said no. Is it because you you don't really want to have to get into a conversation with other people? You just want it to be yours? It's a fine line, I think. I think that people, if I stepped over the line and became a proper TV cook face, you know, then I'm not allowed to to, to put on funny accents and sort of, you know, ah. and, and silly hats. When somebody comes up to me in the street and says, oh, I really like you in that show, it's lovely. Obviously, people are always nice to me. When they come up and say that my lemon chicken is the first thing they've ever cooked and now they cook for their family from scratch every single day and that that lemon chicken was the turning point... I cry. So it's it's like, it's so meaningful. Food is so meaningful. I have to say, so you really didn't give us any dietaries at all. Eats food, I think, was literally what was sent back to us. Yum. But if you had been realistic, it would have said, not too spicy um, and try to avoid dairy. And we've sent you Indian food, including dairy. How's it worked out for you? Amazing. When and if they are open for business, they'll be the first on my list for a visit. Delicious. Right, so Benares has done us proud. I have to say my, my lamb shank nihari and my, my dal and all of that was all fabulous as well. So all that actually remains for me to say is, Faye Ripley, thank you for staying in for lunch with me. And when this is all over, let's go out for lunch. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Faye Ripley there, telling us all the good stuff. Today, both of us were fed, and fed exceedingly well, I should say, courtesy of the marvellous Benares in London's Mayfair, which has now reopened for business. Visit Benares Restaurant, all one word, dot com, and Benares is spelt B-E-N-A-R-E-S. So BenaresRestaurant.com for all the vital information. And if you'd like another serving, do peruse our wonderful menu of previous guests on Out to Lunch. There's something to please everyone's palate. You can find them wherever you get your podcast. And please remember to give us a virtual high five in the form of sharing, comments and ratings. We do love to know what you think. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer was Jemima Rathbone. The producer is Selena Reem. And the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, I'll be in for lunch with comedian Shappy Corsandi. I didn't ask... You know, I just introduced you to my girlfriend. When you introduced me to your boyfriend, I didn't usher you off into a corner. Yeah, I could kiss him. I couldn't suck him off. You just wouldn't say that to me. 